my introduction to the show Seinfeld was the very last episode of the show, the series finale. It's probably one of the most divisive finales in history. I personally think it's very well done. It's pretty brilliant the way they did it. But if you've seen the finale, you know that there's a lot of callbacks. There's a lot of characters we've seen in previous seasons that make appearances. And having never seen an episode before, I was kind of like, hmm, I'm not so sure about this show. Thankfully, I gave it another chance. And I have since seen just about every episode 832 times. What the hell? I'll just eat some trash. My Seinfeld experience is largely encapsulated in those nine seasons, but my guest today has been touring with Seinfeld for more than 20 years. Mark Schiff, comedian and the author of the new book, Why Not? Lessons on Comedy, Courage, and Chutzpah. It's got a foreword from Jerry Seinfeld. Mark chronicles all of his experiences throughout comedy, but he's going beyond that. It's the perfect mix of humor and vulnerability. We love seeing some of that. Gives us an inside look at the comedy world, but he's also talking about how his Jewish community in New York and Los Angeles have given him a rich and fulfilling life, how he's had journeys through veganism, weight loss, and mindfulness, recovering all kinds of lovely stuff in here. Mark also has a tip that he has started doing in his life. I'm going to start doing it in my life, and I think you should as well. It's very simple to do, and I'll let him explain it in the episode, but it's pretty wonderful, so I hope you're taking mental notes. I'm Joey Held, this is Good People Cool Things, and here's a conversation with Mark Schiff. To start off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch? But also the type of elevator that we're riding on. Mark Schiff, a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, podcaster, husband of 32 years, three boys, all working. Love it. And you got into comedy at a, at a young age. And was there like a, a particular moment where you're like, okay, this is what I want to do for my career? Or did it just kind of build up over time? So I had an epiphany. At 12 years old, my parents took me to see Rodney Dangerfield. You remember him at all? Mm-hmm. Great, great. One of the greatest... Uh, Probably the greatest talk show comedian that ever lived on the Johnny Carson show. He was absolutely spectacular. My parents took me to see him live when I was 12. I saw my parents laughing their head off like they've never laughed before. Everybody around was just dying at their tables. And I said, that's it. I'm going to become a comedian. I was 12 years old and I knew it and I never looked back. Were you laughing too at what you were seeing or were you just kind of observing what everyone else was doing? You know, it's a fantastic question. So I was laughing at jokes I did not even understand. You know, you're 12. So Rodney's talking about marriage. And he goes, I'll tell you, my wife is like a car. Sometimes I can't get her to turn over in the morning. Now, (laughs) I have no idea what that means. But I laughed along with everybody else because it just sounded funny. He was funny. And uh, again, he's one of the funniest people to ever live. And I I became friends with him later on in life. Do you remember what that what that first meeting was like? So he came into Catch a Rising Star, which was a comedy club in New York on 77th and 1st. And he he did one-liners. So it was kind of easy to, his style, you, you, it was easy to write for. It wasn't easy to write great jokes, but it was easy to write for his style. And I came up with a couple of jokes. And I said, when he came in, I said, hey, Rodney, my name is Mark Schiff. I got a joke or two for you I wrote. 
And he, he goes, let me hear it, kid. And uh, the joke was, you got to remember, Rodney's kind of old looking. He's kind of disheveled. So he goes, I'll tell you, it's rough. I went to the cemetery to visit my father. And you know, you're getting old. Two guys chased me with shovels. So <laughs> he did that show, joke on the Tonight Show. He sent me a check for $25. And he knew who I was. And then um, he kind of became a fan of my comedy. Oh, that's fantastic. And you've met a lot of people over over the years. And uh, a lot of them are mentioned in your new book, Why Not? Lessons on Comedy, Courage, and Chutzpah. Is there a kind of favorite uh, comedian experience that you've had? And the book has lessons in the title. So what's a lesson that you hope readers take away? Mm-hmm. Wow. You ask good questions. You should do this for a living. And plus, we wear similar shirts. I mean, mine's only yes. one color. I can't afford to have many colors, you know, with stripes. <laughs> I just got the plain. They didn't have to do work on mine before I got it. Yours, yeah, they went to town on that shirt. Thank um, you, thank you. It, looks, it makes me look uh, either slimmer or wider, right. depending on your angle, yeah. So, um, I started with Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, Richard Belzer, Gilbert Gottfried, Joe Piscopo. We all started around the same time, although Richard Belzer was a generation before us. And Richard Lewis was a little before us. He was unbelievable. Larry David, I saw every night for five years. He was there every night doing, trying to do stand-up. He was considered the funniest guy there, but the audiences didn't understand what he was doing yet. He was kind of ahead of them. Um, probably one of the most memorable moments is when Seinfeld and I, we had our first road gig together. And we rode from New York to Washington, D.C. in my 1976 Toyota Corolla. Now he has 100 Porsches, and I still have a Toyota. <laughs> um, Hopefully newer than 76. Much newer than, yeah, okay, 77 okay. now. So. <laughs> Um, and we, I introduced him to Frank Sinatra live at the Sands. One of the best live recordings ever is called Frank Sinatra live at the Sands. And we just drove down to Washington singing and got a hotel down there. They gave us, and we had great shows. And that was a really memorable experience for me. My first one. And he was not Seinfeld. He had nothing to do with TV. He had never even done TV yet, but we had just started out. We were young kids and. That first road trip means a lot to you. So lessons I've learned. One thing I do, and I recommend everybody do this, actually, if you want to. Um, as you get older, sometimes you don't see people for a certain amount of years. You know, you may see a kid from high school, right? You know, that you haven't seen in, I don't know when you got out of high school. But what I do is when I see somebody I haven't seen in a long time, they go, Mark, how are you? I said, and listen. Good to see you. Was I kind to you when we were hanging out? Do I owe you an amends for anything? Were we okay? And I like to straighten out anything that's that's kind of, uh, if I put the, a bad taste in somebody's mouth. That's a lesson. I, I People appreciate when you say that to them. And every once in a while, you get somebody to say, you know, you could have been a little nicer. You, you know, you, you shrugged me here or shrugged me there. So that's something I learned. I, th- I think that's important. I like that. I had that happen, I don't know, this is probably like five or six years ago now, but the same type of thing where I was kind of like, you know, I feel like the last time we, we hung out, I was not, you know, I, I could have been a, a better person to you. They were like, yeah, I've kind of felt that way too. And I was like, well, <laughs> thanks for thanks for telling me eventually. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice. You can clean it up if they let you. And uh... now, if somebody 
owes me, you know, if I bump into somebody that wasn't kind to me, I tend not to go after them for it. That's a different thing to learn how to let go of. You, by the way, do you hear a noise? No, I just hear a car outside my <laughs> my house. <laughs> so there's a helicopter over my house oh, wow. now. This is what happens in L.A. Helicopters go looking for criminals like that are in your area that's like running around. And you hear them over your, right over your house. Like if you look out the window, they're gone now. But uh, th- that's the, the pleasures of living in Los Angeles. <laughs> you get helicopters over your house and you can't go out for about 20 minutes until they scare the guy out of there or catch him. Have you ever been watching the news and you see your own house on there? I have not. But what did happen to me in New York was I was uh, having uh, dinner in a restaurant on First Avenue, and that was on a Saturday night. Sunday morning, I get the newspaper, and a car had rammed through the restaurant and killed everybody that was sitting where oh, wow. I was sitting just a few hours earlier. So uh, I missed that one, too. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> that's that's harrowing. <laughs> yeah. I missed a couple of them. I was on a flight once. When I uh, called my wife, I thought we were going to go down. And the, the pilot had made an announcement. He said, we have uh, severe engine problems, so we're going to try to land. And uh, I took my cell phone out. We were low enough for me to call my wife. And I said, listen, in case I don't make it, you know, uh, take care. I love you. I didn't ask her if I, I owed her an amends, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, was I nice to you the last 12 years? Uh, no, I didn't say any of that nonsense. But uh and when we, we came in for a landing, they were standing there in these aluminum suits, you know, these fire suits mm. with big hoses in their hand. But we landed safely and everything was okay. Nice. Was it a, a smooth landing after all? A little bouncy, but we got out. We've had, yeah, at worse on, on regular ones. He wasn't sure if he got the wheels down. Oh. He wasn't sure he was going to be able to get the wheels down, too. That was a combination engine and wheel problems. But we're here, yeah. you know, we're here. We made it. What the hell? We made it. It's, good. Live once. it's a good time. I don't, I don't think I've had anything that quite that severe. I do remember being flying, I think I was flying back to Austin and the captain came on just, and we had been circling for a while because it was just, you know, crazy thunderstorms and weather going on. So there, we're circling for maybe 30 or 45 minutes and the pilot comes on and just very casually says, another plane tried to land and they were unsuccessful. So we're going to circle and, and probably land in Dallas and refuel. And and we're all just looking at each other like, wait, what do you mean by unsuccessful? And yeah. as far as I could tell, it was that maybe they started the descent and then we're like, nope, and, and pulled back up because I didn't hear about any kind of horrific crash or anything like that. But just the... I've had a few yeah. of those where they, they take off and then they, they kind of come back and drop the fuel off, you know, over the ocean. And I've had two or three of those. Yeah, just the, the wording of it was very... Very uh, nerve-wracking. Well, you know what I hate about the wording? We'll be making our final descent. What do you mean final? (laughs) I don't like that word. You know, no, it's not your final. You're going to take off again, and you're going to land somewhere else. This is not your final trip, okay? (laughs) Not with me on the plane. (laughs) That's why I'm always afraid if the pilot's like, well, this is my last flight before retirement. I'm just like, you've got nothing to lose. I don't like that. You know, I was in a restaurant... Um, we went to visit my kid in college. He went to the University of Maryland. And we're eating in a restaurant. And uh, we said to the guy, uh, what time are you open tomorrow? He goes, I'm not. So I said, what do you, what do you mean you're not? He goes, uh, 
was the next day was like Tuesday or Wednesday. He says, I'm going out of business. So I said, when? He goes, right after you. <laughs> and, and I said, really? He goes, yeah, you're the last customers here in the restaurant. And after you, I'm, I'm done closing shop. I'm thinking, how fresh is this food that I'm eating now when this guy's going out of business in 12 minutes? I know he didn't go out the morning and buy the stuff. That's for sure. Was it still a good meal? I'm I'm here. Like, that's yeah. right. I'm still here. <laughs> that was not, as the pilots say, this is our final descent. This is our final meal, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm glad you persevered. On yeah. We can hop back a little bit to you. Were, you're telling the story about on the road with Seinfeld, which I think goes in nicely with a question I always like to ask, which is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. So, what's it like touring with Seinfeld aside from teaching him about great live albums? I'll be with him again in two weeks in uh, Kentucky and somewhere else. Now, I've been with I've been on the road with Jerry for twenty over twenty years, and I go out um, about twenty times a year with him. And it is the number one best gig in the world. It's super A travel. We 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 fly in this plane. We stay in the top hotels. No matter what town we go into, we try to stay in the most modern, nicest hotel. Order anything you want off the menu. The crowds could not be better. Thousands of, you know, about two weeks ago, I played 9,000 people with them. They're so happy to be there, so happy to see him. And uh, they respect the opening act. They know it's going to be good. And it, it can't be better. And, and some of the most fun, people would die to be able to do this. I'll sit and watch Jerry's act. And then I'll make some notes and we'll uh, try to you know get some stuff in his act, help him out. Comedians always need help. We can always use help. Even, if, even though we write this stuff by ourselves, most of us, um, you can always come up with a joke or two to fix something that, you know, you know, that's why a doctor doesn't do surgery alone. Got a whole bunch of people around him going, you know, maybe you should move your hand over to the right because if not, you're going to kill this guy. So, uh, yeah, so so working close with Jerry. And then we always take a nice 40-minute walk, 30, 40-minute walk together every time by ourselves and just chat about life. He's married. He's got a wonderful wife, kids. I got married, got three boys. And we talk about uh, marriage and real, I mean, he's been a friend forever. And the most important thing is when you hang out with major stars, they need to be able to trust you. And Jerry and I have, uh, and, and, and he has other friends just like me who he trusts. He can say anything in the world too. And we're not going to call, you know, any of these shows. Go, Guess what? About Jerry. That's going to be my next question. Give me all the salacious details. <laughs> yeah. Now there's, there's the truth is it's one of the straightest straight lace tours in the world nobody gets to us you know we have a producer kevin Doctorman. he's with us we fly in go to the hotel check in we don't go out after the show to bars or nightclubs or anything we just hang out with each other and then we wake up in the morning at breakfast and go to the next gig i like it that sounds lovely and very efficient it's incredibly jerry's a very efficient guy he's a minimalist he doesn't like uh, excess anything so it's just, you know, we get to the gig, there's certain foods that he orders that we like, and uh, he's got some uh, car magazines waiting for him, and um, I always get to take home an extra jar of peanut butter that he's not going to use. So, Well, that's a win-win then. <laughs> it's an unbelievable thing. Now he gets this um, 
protein powder because he has a, a machine there. We make shakes mm. at the gig. And nice. a lot of times, uh, you know, these are, you know, he, he may not use it one gig, so I'll just take that uh, jar home. So I'm, I'm killing it, baby. I'm doing, <laughs> it's like the home shopping network with no uh, bill at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you have a favorite, uh, a favorite venue that you've played? Israel has to be one of my favorite places. Jerry and I went to Israel twice together. 17,000 people each show. We did three shows there. And the audiences could not have been happier to see us. I mean, they, you know, every, like I said, every audience he pulls in is just fantastic. Just incredible. But Israel was, was, was very special because uh, even though he wasn't born there and I wasn't born there, we were like hometown boys to them. A couple of Jews from New York City. That's the, there's Israel and then there's Jews from New York. That's uh, the closest thing to coming from Israel. He's a New Yorker. Hey, New York. <laughs> So did you did you get a lot of New Yorker accents then thrown at you? Yeah, you know, you, you there we met people along the road, very nice people, just incredible. So the road is fun, you know. I mean, I spent so many years on the road. Just uh, even tomorrow, you know, every every gig is different. Tomorrow, I get up at three thirty in the morning and start heading towards Cleveland Hopkins Airport by myself. I got a show Saturday night, and that's not uh, with Jerry, so it's a little tougher. I got to get it from there and go rent a car and then drive 50 miles and, you know, but uh, I don't mind it. I, I, the road is great. A lot, of, a lot of people can't take the road. I, you know, what's bad? You, you sit on a plane, you read a magazine, you, you get in the car and you, you go tell some jokes. What's bad? Yeah, it doesn't sound too bad. Are you, when you're in the car, so you've got a 50 mile drive, are you going over your set at all or is it just like at this point it's second nature so you're like hey i'll listen to you know another album or something like that no it's um i will tape my sets especially when i'm doing new stuff and then re-listen to it over and over and then if i haven't performed in a few weeks i'll listen to a set i have to um and i'll listen to other comedians um some podcasts um but you got to stay on it you got to stay on it because there are nuances with stand-up comedy, like little things you do that can't be written on paper. They're, they're just stamped on your brain, like twist here or say this word longer or shorter, that only through practice can you really lock it in your brain. Did you have any quirks from earlier? Or maybe quirks is the wrong word, but something from earlier in your career that you weren't as big a fan. Like for my example, which I just used it right there, I say like way too much in these interviews. I instead of, you know, not as a syn- analogous type of thing, but just, you know, throwing a like in beforehand. Is there anything like that that you kind of had to work out of your set or you were just like, I'm going to embrace this? Yeah. Um, um, I had to get rid of ums. So anyway, um, yeah, you can't do that with stand up comedy. So I was talking to my mother. Um, uh, now, stand-up comedy is like the essence of poetry. It's it's every word, every nuance, every syllable is important. And if you if you blow it out, you may lose the whole routine. I I feel like a couple of stand-ups. I won't name drop, but I know I've heard this use the ums or us almost as a laugh break instead of just letting the laughter happen. They'll say the line. They're like, I know this is a funny line. And then they'll go, uh, like, I'm about to start my next sentence, but really, I'm just giving you time to laugh. And I think there's, 
And and maybe you have a, a good tip for this, because I think even outside of stand-up, just on a meeting or something, people embracing silence is kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I think letting that kind of, you know, letting what you just said sit for a little bit is really impactful if you can do it. But did you, when you were getting rid of those ums, how did you kind of train it out of yourself? A repetition, just keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres stumbles and stammers like Bob Newhart in his comedy. That's a style for some people. Some people, it's just maybe to think themselves to the next place. Um, I just did it. I don't really like it. I don't do it in my writing. I don't write. Anyway, she walked into the room. Um, I don't do any of that. So it's, it's all practice. You know, people don't understand how many times you have to do a routine to get it right. If I say a hundred, I'm coming up short. It takes it take years to a year or two to to perfect a a longer routine. You know, not one. We're not doing one lines. We're doing little stories and little vignettes and stuff like that. It takes a while. Plus, you're perfecting it live. You know, like a writer who writes a book, and they're sitting in the room and nobody hears it and sees anything. You write the book. In total silence. Here, you you know, you're like a, a surgeon performing in front of an audience. If you're nervous about your performing skills and you're trying to work out a routine, it's and I was, I'm a nervous performer, it's a, it's a little harder. And so maybe that, that segues nicely into another question. I always like to ask anyone who does any kind of performances, but what's your worst gig? Well, I had, by the way, how do you like that I came totally prepared with a headphone and my Oh, I love it. I love, Don't you it. love it. Yes. Yeah, because couldn't even have, hear the helicopters. You have great soundproofing too. Yeah, you got it. You know, when you do a podcast, you realize a lot of people have no idea. You go, you need Chrome, and they're dead right there in the water. Or you have a headset. A what? A headset? <laughs> you know? And they come, and they got a Dixie cup with a string. It's terrible. Um, there we go. You screwed me now. I'm saying um. I, <laughs> I can edit it out. It's great. Twelve years I haven't said um. So. I have stage fright and I've dealt with it my whole life. And I had some really rough sets that the audience did not know about, but I knew one night I was working with Diana Ross in Las Vegas, Diana Ross and it's Caesar's palace. I don't know it's like 2,500 people. And I started having a uh, anxiety attack and I felt like I was going to pass out on stage. It was all nerves. It was all crazy nerves. And I had a glass of water on the stool and I picked it up. My hands were shaking, so I had to put it down my mouth. So that was a horrible uh, situation. And my first Tonight Show, I was like a guy coming off the Mojave Desert who hadn't had water in two months. My mouth was so dry. And thank God my laughs were so big that I could actually take a swallow in between the laughs. And that was probably the most frightening moment of my life as a performer. Tonight show, Johnny Carson sitting to the right of me and me feel like at any moment I could choke. Yeah, that sounds, That's that sounds like a little, a little pressure-filled situation. Horrible. Horrible. It's hard not to be nervous performing live in front of all these people. You know, you say, you say to yourself, it's like Seinfeld said, you know, if you're going to ask 
3,000 people to keep quiet when you're, when you're talking. You better have something important to say. Because otherwise, they're not going to shut up. You better have something better than what they're thinking. So that's the deal. Got to have the goods. Howdy, howdy. Today's episode is sponsored by mylifeinabook.com. We're coming up on the holiday season. Maybe you're like, I don't know what to give my parents or my grandparents. This is probably one of the most thoughtful gifts I've ever come across. As families get together to celebrate, it's perfect for parents and grandparents, and it's basically a very powerful way to connect emotionally with them, preserve their most precious memories, and show them you really care. And best of all, it's an instantaneous gift. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com lets you choose from a list of thought-provoking questions, or even write your own, and that gets sent to your relative by email. Your relative, whether it's your parent, grandparent, someone else, they write their answer, and they can choose to add a meaningful picture. This happens every week, and at the end of a year, all the stories get combined in a beautiful keepsake book that can store your relative's memories forever and pass them on to future generations, which is printed and sent to you. Request as many copies as you want and even get them in audio format as well. With mylifeinabook.com, you can give those you love most a personal gift that tells them they're meaningful to you and all future generations. And as you're communicating throughout the year, it's a great way to keep in touch. To save $10 off your first purchase, use discount code GPCT. That's GPCT to get $10 off mylifeinabook.com. And now, back to the episode. Kind of going back to the the process of having everything, you know, planned out like how long you'd stretch a word or or a certain word that you'd use. Right. Have you ever had to alter that on a Tonight Show appearance or any kind of other appearance? Like, have you been asked to to change a joke for any reason? When I was doing the Tonight Show, I was doing so well and getting so many big laughs that I decided to get out a joke or two early. I said, why risk it now? They're, they're, you know, they're screaming their heads off. Not that the other joke would have blown it, I got out a little early, 20 seconds early. I don't like that I did that because that's a sign of insecurity. And like, they can sniff it. If, if, you're, if, if you're nervous and you're sweaty and you're really holding back, uh, they, can, they can tell. So you don't want to do that. You want to try to be as secure about what you're doing as possible. Do you remember the jokes you didn't tell? No, I can't remember now, but I remember I, I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping right now. This is too good to, you know, and it was fine. They never knew the difference and I, I was fine with it. You mentioned how you've got the headphones, you've got the quality microphone. I'm sure people can tell from just the clear smoothness of your voice to hear it, that you have a podcast as well. So how did that get started? Tell us about it. Yeah, it's called You Don't Know Schiff. So good. <laughs> and it's a good name, right? I, were, I, have a, I have a co-host, Lowell Benjamin. So Lowell's wife, her name is Kathy Heller. And Kathy has a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And it's a very popular podcast. She's had like 24 or more million downloads. Very popular. does very well. So she gives podcast workshops. And her husband, who's a writer and, and a comedian, uh, 
we, we got along very well. And Kathy thought that the two of us should do a podcast. I, did, I, I didn't want to do one by myself like you do. I, I wasn't interested in doing one by myself. It, it just seemed like a tremendous amount of work. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to get involved with editing and show notes. I, I just didn't have the time because I'm a performer traveling. I'm writing. I got a family. I just don't have the time. So uh, Lowell became my uh, co-host, and we have a producer, and we're new at it. We're about eight, ten months in. We've had some tremendous people on the show. We're doing well. But, you know, so it's good. And I'm pretty good at interviewing because I'm I'm decent at listening, like you are. You're a very good listener. Thank you. So that's a big part of it. Um, it's, it's, It's enjoyable, but it's a tremendous amount of time and work. So, um, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, we're doing it. And I got some nice equipment. I was just robbed recently. Oh, no. I, my office was was cleaned out. They took my iMac computer and they took all my podcast equipment, including all my wires and stuff like that. So, I, what you're looking at now is a whole new set I just got last week. Do you like it more than what you had? You know, you know what I like about it? It's much more portable. The other one I had to leave in the office. This I can, I can just unplug and, and take with me. I, it's, it's about four steps easier. And I got rid of, um, some other, I, I went to a zoom box, you know, what zoom is that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm using that now instead of something else I use. So it's, it's, it's much easier, much better. Nice. Yeah. I like the zooms too. They, it confuses people when you talk about it because they think it's just the video chat. Yeah. We had a guy on today yeah. on, the, on the podcast. I think I told you, Jamie Alcroft, he, just had a, uh, he's a recipient of a heart and liver. They put a new heart and liver with him into him at the same exact time. That's wild. Yeah. So, uh, and he's doing well. So that was a interesting departure for me with the podcast because I've been talking to mostly showbiz people and artists, but I never talked to somebody who had a, a new heart put in. Is there a guest or maybe a type of guest, like a heart transplant recipient that you haven't talked to yet that you want to? We're going to put it out on the airwaves, and maybe it'll come true. Well, we have a bunch of people coming up. That's a good question. Seinfeld's going to come on. We have Judd Apatow coming on. Jay Leno's coming on. October 30th, we're doing a live one with John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live and many movies. We did a live one two weeks ago with um, uh, Jake Johansson, the comedian, and it went so well. We're doing another one. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So we're heading in that direction. And I uh, wrote a book called Why Not? Lessons on Comedy, Courage, and Chutzpah. I know. I forgot to, I forgot to uh, get the deep throat sound when I, when I said it earlier. My yeah, apologies. It's the phlegm. You got to pull up every ounce of phlegm <laughs> since you were trying to. A little chutzpah. chutzpah. <laughs> yeah. So on my COVID vacation, when I found out that we were being locked down, uh, my work, you know, it's a stand-up comedian. That's it. You know, I can't go out live to people. I can't do my shows. I don't know. I got to do something. And I didn't want to be one of these people that just sat and watched TV all day and ate bonbons. I decided to stay creative. So I said, I'll write a book. Why not? Why not write a book? And why not call it? Why not? <laughs> so I wrote this book. I wrote, it has 60 essays in it. Uh, some of them were produced already at the, for a place called the Jewish Journal, which has a real nice uh, readership here in Los Angeles. And I had an agent, 
I wrote a book. I called my agent Murray Weiss. I said, I think I wrote a book. <laughs> I think I wrote one. And he goes, I said, would you like to read it? And he said, why not? <laughs> so he read it. Then he calls me up. I said, I like it. Do you mind if I send it out to publishers to see if anybody wants to buy it? And I said, yeah, you know what? Why not? <laughs> and then we got a call from Apollo Publishers in New York, a wonderful little boutique publishing company. I, I was with uh, another company before. I have, I have an early book called I Killed with Random House, 200 road stories of different comedians. I Killed True Stories of the Road by America's Top Comedians. So Apollo Publishers read the book. They called Murray. They said, uh, why not? <laughs> and they called me and we made a deal. And now the book's coming out in less than a month. Amazing. I was trying to think yeah. of a why not response to it, but I'll just say amazing. So, I like well, it, yeah. I'll give you one, you know, so I got a phone call that you wanted to have me on your podcast and you know what I said? I hope it was why not? Why not? Yes. <laughs> and here you are. Here we are. You know, why not is an interesting two words because it's the closest thing to a yes, but you still have a little breathing room. See, when, when you say yes, somebody goes, you know, you, you want to marry me? If they go, yes, that's it. You're locked in. But if they go, why not? There's a little bit of thing in there that you're not a million percent sure, but there's a drop that maybe why? And you still need a few seconds to figure it out. So why not is, 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 is a little more comfortable than yes. I like that. I'm going to get some more wine. I, I already say why not a decent amount, I think, but I'm going to get more. I'm working it in more. Two words can change your life. You know, when you get married, it's I do. Did you try why not? I mean, I guess this was 32 years ago, so maybe you didn't have the no, time. No, when the rabbi yeah. said, you take her to be your long-term wife, I didn't say why not. I said, uh, yeah, I do. You can't say why not there. <laughs> I just want to get a big laugh. I should have said why not. You know, that would have been very funny. So, Mark, do you take her to be your wife? Why not? <laughs> what the hell? I, maybe you can do a 35 or 40 year anniversary, I, you know, a remarriage type of thing, and you can you can pull it out then. I can. We'll go to Vegas. We'll we'll, we'll redo it, and the uh, justice piece will go. Do you take her? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I'll be a little older then, so I won't be as big with the why not. Eh, why not? No. <laughs> So yeah, this book's coming out. It's got a terrific review already from Publishers Weekly. Bill Mars on the cover of the book. It says, starting out in stand-up comedy with Mark Schiff was a blast. And the humor he brought to the stage back then is now between the pages of this book, plus wisdom, plus the wisdom you get when you add time, Bill Maher. Jerry Seinfeld did the, uh, the forward in the book. And I got a lot of Really great blurbs from a lot of very talented people that read the book. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've admittedly only read a couple of essays uh, since I just I just got it recently. But I, I, I would second that. I've enjoyed what I've read so far and more to come for sure. Yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of uh, 270 pages of stuff in here. And there's a story about when Jerry Seinfeld gave me a car as a gift. There's a story about me becoming friends with Catherine Hepburn. There's a story about Bob Dylan coming to my house one night. Just when I asked him, I said, you want to come over and hang out and have some tea? And you know what he said? Why not? And he came over to my house, Bob Dylan. And Anthony Hopkins is a story about how he taught me acting in the book. 
a lot of stuff about growing up in the Bronx, about my parents, having to put my dog down. That was a very story that moved a lot of people to tears and a lot of funny stuff in there. Did you get to, you, you, you have 60 stories in there. Was that always kind of a, a goal you had or you just wrote, stopped, and it said, this is a good stopping point? So that's what publishers do. I, when we submitted to Apollo and we made a deal, we said, okay, there was a stipulation. They said, Mark, we really like it. Funny stuff, moving stuff, but it's not long enough. The book's not long enough yet. We need another between 10 and 15,000 words. So most of my stories are 700 words. They're short, like stand up. I get to the point. There's, there's no blabbing and, you know, muddling around. I get right to it. So it's 700 words. You're talking about maybe another 50, you know. So I wrote some longer ones, but I had to hand in another 15 stories. And that, that's a lot of writing. Especially each story is its own world. It's, it's its own little vignette, a live vignette. Uh, but I did it. I did it. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm very proud of myself, and I'll tell you why. My teachers growing up told me I was going to go nowhere. And I don't blame them because I was, I was kind of a rotten kid in class, and I disturbed everybody. And I wasn't a class clown. I was just acting like an idiot. I didn't know better. Uh, but I was destined not to go anywhere. And I pretty much dropped out of school, but I took to the arts and I would go to the libraries and I educated myself. I would sit and read and listen to plays on record, on tape. And I learned on my own. And this is all, I, I took some writing classes, but I, I, I didn't grab it. How I did it was I just said, like becoming a comedian, you just kind of do it on your own. You just say, I'm going to do this and, and you start doing it. And I've been successful at stand-up, and this book is, is uh, something that... Uh, I remember one time I did a show at Yale, and I'm standing on stage, I'm thinking, I barely got out of eighth grade, and here I am entertaining people at Yale. It was a nice feeling. Didn't let it go to my head. I just said, you know, you can, uh, you can make your own way. It's really good. I like that. I like that. Well, we'll, we'll uh, put a link to Why Not in the show notes. And in the meantime, you're almost off the hook here. Why not? We got one more question for you. It's our top three. And for you, what are your top three Beatles songs? So that's a good question. But let me tell you, I've met three of the Beatles. The only one I did not meet was George Harrison. I met Paul McCartney on Fifth Avenue. At the time, it was a long time ago. He was with his wife, Linda, who passed on. Stopped them and spoke to them. Couldn't have been nicer. I met John Lennon at the Bottom Line in New York, a nightclub there. And I met Ringo a couple of times in Beverly Hills. He likes when I call him Richard. (laughs) And I do Transcendental Meditation, TM. You know what that is? Yeah. And so does he. So when you open a conversation with a Beatle, it's good to try to open it with other things than about music because they hear that from everybody. So I said to Ringo, you know, by the way, I, I, I meditate just like you. And, and then we had a nice 10-minute conversation about meditation. Um, my favorite Beatles songs, I love If I Fell. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true <laughs> and help me? And I love, I, love, I love help. Help 
is a deep song. Help, I need somebody. It's it's calling out for you. Do, it's saying in life you don't have to do it on your own. I need help. Somebody help me. So, at your deepest dark moments in life, and we all have them sometimes. Sometimes it's good to not sit in it yourself, but reach out for a little help, whether it's a therapist or you can get just as much sometimes from a good friend. So that was a big deal. That was a big deal. And I love um, John Lennon, not with the Beatles, but Beautiful Boy. He wrote a song to his son, Sean, about just just what a, what a beautiful boy he is. He was a little kid when he wrote that song. Uh, his son was a little kid. And I got three boys. And I always wanted to write something as beautiful about my boys as he wrote about his. So those are those are the three Beatles songs that meant a lot to me. Fantastic list. And uh, I mean, I'll go I'll go listen to them after this recording. That sounds great. You listen to Beautiful Boy. It's a sweet, sweet song. Yeah, I don't know. I'm actually not sure if I've heard that one. Uh, and at least in a while, if I have. But yeah, I'll look at that. That sounds lovely. And listen to the lyrics of Help. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. Help me get my feet back on the ground. That's uh, it's it's powerful. Yeah, I've always enjoyed that song. I've always thought it, it kind of gets lumped in with some of the other more poppy, like an "I want to hold your hand" type of. That's there. right. I, it does. It's always like I don't know. It seems it seems deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Like that. Well, Mark, this was a fantastic time. You had a helicopter. I don't know if you heard. I had police sirens going on in the background, or an ambulance, or something. So we've we've both got lots of chaos going out outside of our walls, but we powered through. Why not? We did. Why not? Fantastic. If people want to pick up a copy or learn more about you, where can they find you? So the book is on sale now. It's pre-order. It comes out in a couple weeks, but you can get it and uh, on Amazon or anywhere. Anywhere, folks, that books are sold, you can get Why Not Lessons on Comedy, Courage, and Chutzpah. Uh, it's also on Kindle. I, 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 but buy it on hardback. I make more money. <laughs> so I got to make some money. I got it. My, my wife, you know, I got this Jewish wife. I got to buy her diamonds and all kinds of things. Well, you got to help me out, folks. You <laughs> got to help me. Help you feeling down. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's on uh, Amazon. You can get the book. And I think you'll really enjoy it. It's it, it's it's nice. It's it, and it's a book for everybody. And it's also very positive. There's a lot of positive messages, and it's it's clean. There's there's hardly any cursing in it. Like we just did 45 minutes. Nobody said nobody cursed. So that's what my act is. I work clean. I write clean, and uh, I think filthy. <laughs> that's that's the deal. We all, yeah. I can't get filth out of my mind, but I don't say it out loud in front of other people. So that's the deal. I mean, I'm the same and way, I should, so I, I get it. You're exa- I can tell by looking at you, you got some thoughts going on in that head oh, of yours that are unbelievable. Yes. Oh, man. Not fit for consumption. It's no. Rough. Same here. Absolutely. Well, we always like to end with a corny joke here. I feel like we've already had, we've been, you know, lots of jokes on here, but I've got one for you as well. You're also welcome to tell another one if you want. It's totally All up right. to you. Uh, I'll go first so we can end on a higher note. But what happens when a grape crossing the street gets run over? I don't know what happens when a grape crosses the streets, get across the street to get run over. You get a nice little traffic jam. Oh man! <laughs> oh, so what did one peanut say? What one peanut said to the other? What happened to you? 
And the other one said, I'm assaulted. <laughs> I was assaulted. I think that, that, that's one of Jerry's jokes. He, he I remember him telling me that he told his kids that joke. I got one for you, I think. So this, this guy is driving, uh, and this old man, he's, he's driving his car, and all of a sudden a cop pulls him over. He's like 85 years old. And the cop says, do you know your wife fell out of the car about two miles back? And he looks to the right, and he looks at the cop and goes, thank God, I thought I was going deaf. <laughs> That's good. I like that one. That's a good wife joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we uh, we started with Rodney Dangerfield with a wife joke. We're rapping full circle. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And best of luck with the book. We'll drop we'll drop links in the show notes, all that good stuff. And it'll be fantastic. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.